0: Morning everyone and um, welcome to our um, Learning Places Scotland and in particular um, our stand here today and we're going to be looking at the digital thinking behind our school buildings and especially our school buildings of the future. Um, I'll introduce um, everyone here and I'll get them to introduce themselves so Jack could you put their mics on yeah so Ollie first.
1: Morning everyone, I'm Molly Bray, I'm one of the strategic directors at Education Scotland, responsible for curriculum and digital learning and teaching.
2: Hi, I'm Stuart Clyde, I'm the head teacher at Bertha Park High School, which is a, a brand new build, but the first non-replacement uh, school building in Scotland, secondary school building in Scotland for about 20 years.
3: Morning everybody, I'm Kevin Cooper, director from Nor Architects.
4: Good morning, I, I'm Neil McIntyre, I'm the Capital Programme Principal for West Lothian Council.
0: So this morning we're hoping to have a look and an insight into what we want our buildings to be like in the future and who contributes to that and it's about this re that we have and the different ideas that we actually need for the future. Because when we're essentially building, whether it's a new school or whatever, we're about four years in advance of it actually opening. So we've got to be thinking and forward thinking about how we're doing. In the past couple of, of years, nearly in 18 months, the pandemic, I think, has jolted us further into the use of digital and how that can be incorporated into the learning in a seamless way. So, first of all, we've got Ollie, and he's going to talk a little bit about it from uh, an Education Scotland perspective, but also what he's seen around the country. Thank you, Ollie.
1: Uh, well, m- morning again, everybody, and, and thanks so much for, um, for coming along to the session the, the, this morning. Um, so, I'm going to speak for about 15, 16 minutes. Uh, you notice I was a bit a bit fuzzy as to how long it will actually sort of take around that and then we'll open up for some questions and, and some discussion around that um, but as this is the kind of the first presentation or first bit of the day I thought we would maybe start off with just a kind of a kind of few reflections, I feel a bit depressed when I show this slide because when I first started to show this slide it said reflections on the last four months then it was six months and Then it was 12 months and now it's kind of 18 months. Uh, and I'll probably still be using this 24 months, you know, into this. But um, I use it purposefully um, because um, I think it is really, really important to think a little bit about on the journey that, we, that we've been on. Um, because I do strongly believe that understanding the past and understanding that part can help us inform the future. I also kind of use it purposefully because when I look at the reflection here from Tobermory, you know, in, in Mull um, on the island of Mull on the west coast, is that it's not a particularly good reflection. And That's kind of a little bit how I feel at the moment. Like I feel like the kind of last 18 months has been a little bit fuzzy like a little bit confused. I sometimes kind of forget what I was doing three months ago or two months ago around that. And I have to actually go back and really sort of focus to think about some of these things. But um, maybe just to sort of just remind you about some of the things that we've been through is that you'll all, you know, remember the first lockdown, I'm sure around that when we were kind of like thrown into that kind of chaos. You'll all remember that the wonderful situations we had with home learning when you were at home, you know, working kind of purposefully and your children working independently, perfectly, right next to you decide that and not asking for help, you know, completely focused on the learning that they were doing, sort of moving forwards, able to be self-directed, self-regulated, make their own lunch, you know, do all these things, you know, or perhaps, you know, it might have resembled, you know, something sort of slightly different, you know, around that. And of course, there were these interesting, you know, pressures that were put on us here and boy, you know, did wider society really start to appreciate the teaching profession, the job that teachers and of course, local authority staff that, that, that did. But i make these kind of points seriously really because i think that when we think about the journey that we've been on we can roughly describe that as situation before you know march 2020 and the situation that we're in now and during that time we've had various spikes of covid we've had various um, guidance that's come out particularly to do with schools particularly to do with buildings particularly to terms of health concern and of course one of the great things about you know our resilient profession when we work in education is we've spiraled around these things we've improved you know and we've innovated going forward and i guess my challenge and one of my provocations to the audience this morning is how do we think a little bit about these innovations that we've had in the last 18 months, how do we capture them, how do we remember them, and most importantly, how do we learn from them? Because if we're still continuing to build and design buildings and design learning spaces like we were before March 2020, then potentially like we might have that wrong. That needs some serious reflection, I think, in terms of the, the requirements that are needed for young people. Um, And I use this kind of slide, you know, quite often when we sort of think about what works well before COVID, what we learned from COVID and how do we kind of create these new models of ways of working going forward. And just the kind of the first part of that equation is really, really important for me. And the reason it's really, really important for me is because, of course, it's what worked well pre-COVID, not what we were doing before COVID. And I, you know, have this kind of a bit of an anxiety at the moment as we start to get back into whatever we're going into next is that people are regressing into ways of working from before that might not have been the best way of working that might not have been delivering the impact that we had and i think i'm really really interested in how we combine those two spaces Uh, and i will talk a little bit about digital because actually you know when we think a little bit about digital learning and teaching and we think about innovation a lot of people say well there's been a lot of innovation in terms of digital learning and there has you know to a certain point no, but for me, I don't want us to get too bogged down on that. For me, in terms of the development of learning systems and the way that we work, the real innovation has actually been around some of these things. It's been innovation in collaboration, community, partnership, the pace of change, the agility to do things. Remember that first lockdown where actually we just all worked together and we removed those layers of bureaucracy because it was the best thing to do for the kids, the best thing to do with public service. So we can't get back... For these kind of enslaved ways of working that we were in before and it was very much you know about sort of joined up services and I suppose when I, when I think a little bit ahead um, I sometimes think about this in terms of known knowns and known unknowns and unknown no, unknowns and they're all kind of quite tongue twisters when we, when we think about them and I think well actually what are some of the things that we might know at the moment and I'll maybe mention a couple of manifesto commitments in here these are things that are hopefully going to happen around that, things that will impact, you know, around kind of education, and school buildings. We've got a a big review of Scottish education from the OECD around that. We'll talk maybe about that a little bit in a second. There's a commitment around one-to-one devices for all young people from primary one to primary six. You know, during this term of government, that will have huge changes potentially in schools. We know that a lot of systems have got that wrong historically around that. How do we prepare for that? How do we build that in? We know that there's talk about an extra one hour's preparation time. Maybe we should rephrase that collaboration time around that to actually make teachers talk. They're coming together, working together, you know, on some, on some of these things. And lots of other things in there, talking about music tuition, you know, school trips, core materials for subjects. And again, all of these things, you know, might have some impact on schools, learning spaces, you know, and indeed sort of school buildings. So a couple of uh, minutes then just maybe on, on technology, because I do think that, that, is, that is, that's important. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about some of the sort of really sort of large technology drivers that I think that we've got sort of move, 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 moving forward but all of these things of course you know are relevant in terms of the technology the technology debate. Um, but I think one of the interesting things that comes from all of these things as we start to get more and more comfortable is the fact that actually the whole working from home part has actually created this digital upskilling across the profession around that. I think it would kind of be fair to say that at least in the teaching space now, everybody has got a basic threshold in the use of digital tools. The challenge, of course, is to take it to that next stage and how do we change the use of digital tools and to turn that into school improvement, to turn that into beyond using Microsoft Teams and Google Workspace to actually make these things good for pedagogy and to make these things good for learning. And of course, um, we don't want to fall into the old traps. And I can see a number of familiar faces here in the audience that have been in this game for a very, very long time, where we've flooded schools with little bits of technology. You know, and we have thought that because we put technology in there, that actually the pedagogy will change. And of course, that's not the place. And we need to be moving more to the situation of actually really, well, how do we create and use the technology for learning environments? And I think that we can apply that to building spaces as well. You know, we've built these wonderful buildings, you know, in Scotland for a number of years now, but people don't know how to use them. So actually thinking about the pedagogy, you know, of learning spaces has got to be incredibly important in everything that we do kind of going forward. And again, if I look at my sort of very basic description here about how technology might be used, I think we could describe it as technology being used for productivity. I think we've got really good at that during the pandemic. Creating with technology, I think we've still got a long way to go there around that. I'm a big fan of maker spaces in school, I know that not everybody is into that, but I've seen prolonged uh, or, or real sustained impact in the terms of that maker culture in a lot of my international work before coming back to use of Education in Scotland. And then, of course, there's the creative use of technology for engagement and to create these deep learning experiences beyond motivation. It's the beyond motivation part that we need to double down on, I think, as we move forward. And I was asked to sort of reflect a little bit about, well, what did we learn, you know, from the pandemic? What are the kind of the big messages, you know, coming from this area here? And I've, you know, picked some broad topics, so I think these are important. These will come as no surprise to anyone, but these are all important in terms of designing space around that. If we, if we think about, you know, learning being perhaps more hybrid, perhaps more remote as we move, as we move forward. So social interaction, incredibly important to young people a lot of young people struggled with social interaction during the pandemic particularly lower primary school children who weren't into social networks right we know that we're starting to see the impact of that now you know coming coming forward so designing social spaces is important supporting well-being is incredibly complicated online when you can only see somebody from the shoulders up it's important around that in terms of supporting young people it's important in terms of supporting staff as well Practical skills, tricky to do online in a consistent way to get to kind of deep learning around that. So are we looking to a space where actually our school buildings will be designed around these kind of practical things, the things that we can't do online and actually that rather than the systems that we have at the moment. The confidence in digital tools sometimes restricts pedagogical approach. Even some of our best schools that engage in things like collaborative learning, when we moved online, group work didn't exist why was that around that as they were getting to use some of the some of some of the, some of the tools the use of feet things like feedback is it written is it video is it audio we know that for particularly young children responding really really well for kind of audio feedback and then we learned a lot about hands in assignment at the start of the pandemic during both lockdowns we had a lot of teachers saying you can create whatever you want and then hand it in and then having to watch 30 two and a half hour videos that the young people had handed in and of course that was a tricky thing to be able to do so thinking around the the actual learning activity you know and the learning on task and most importantly and i think this is important is that most young people that we've spoken to in all of our research were desperate to get back to school desperate to have that adult Uh, adult conversation desperate to have the security of the school in in, in building and of course the last point is that lockdown affected children young people in different and unexpected ways some children thrived who you wouldn't expect to thrive some children struggled who you wouldn't expect to struggle around that and again it's about sort of building some of these things uh, better And maybe just a a sort of quick note then around kind of presence. I sort of want to talk a little bit about this around that and I want to sort of embrace it because I think as we start to sort of think about sort of new models of school, and this is important, you know, I think we've got broadly kind of four categories here. I think we've got, you know, opportunities where classes are all kind of physically present. We should be pretty good at that. That's the bread and butter, you know, of sort of teaching and learning. I think we've got better, you know, at times when young people are all online, when young children are kind of digitally present. Sometimes young people are always physically present. Sometimes they're they're, they're online. We're not bad at that as long as we can combine the two things. This is the one that really unlocks timetable flexibility, by the way, going forward into new models of sort of schooling. And the bit that we've not been very good at and we're still not very, very good at, particularly in schools, is this kind of hybrid learning. When some kids are in the room and some kids are online because what kids tell us is that one group feels isolated. One group doesn't feel engaged around that. Now schools have got a lot of work here, a lot of things here to learn from colleges and to universities I think. Colleges in particular have been very very good you know at doing this for years and years and of course they also deliver school-based and school-level qualifications that's incredibly important. Just take a quick picture here from you know you know Inverness College you know there's no sort of teacher's desk we've got kind of mobile environment there, you know, we've got a hearing loop for accessibility reasons, we've got a smart camera that works around, we've got two screens so that the, cl- so that the people can see what the teacher is presenting, but also the other, their colleagues online in that kind of digital space. We've got good sound, we've got a good microphone to pick it, to pick it, to pick it all up, and again, thinking about designing for hybrid you know, it's maybe something that we need to be considering as we move forward. And I guess my kind of next question is around how do we develop the skills that young people need to prepare them online for structured learning, something that we're not always necessarily kind of, kind of kind of good at if you look at some of the most recent reports that have come out from scotland's international council of education advisors for example they talk about this kind of pandemic proof system and it's thinking about well how do we use the technology you know in these kind of safe spaces to help young people learn and i took this picture over 10 years ago uh, in preston lodge high school in, in east lothian where we've got a group of young people here who are all collaborating in groups but each of the group members is on a different table And what they're doing here, of course, is they're simulating this kind of group work, remote working in this kind of safe environment so they get good at using those skills so that when they do move into that world of employability, you know, or a lockdown or something else, they've built that up, you know, over over, over time. So they're redefining group work, you know, using the technology. And again, we see really interesting things in terms of the design of curriculum in schools, which broadly looks like this. We've got primary schools feeding into a secondary school quite often, you know, where we've got secondary schools now sort of saying that there will be, you know, a senior phase course that's online. Hasn't going to last the whole of the year, right? It might just be a taster, but we will introduce these skills around it. And of course, if we want it in the senior phase, we need to build that up from somewhere else. So actually many, many schools have electives in S2 and S3. So let's make that an option. Let's make an online option for young people to gain qualification, to gain experiences online, to sort of build this up. And then what's really, really interesting, and this is the learning from the pandemic, and I think some of the best clusters of schools are now starting to do this is, well, hang on a minute. We've got all these children in P6 that are across the cluster here, well, why don't we bring them together remotely at certain times during the year, during the week, during the month, for them to engage on work that they're interested in with their peers, because that is helping build digital skills, build employability skills, but also, you know, it's creating interesting and more efficient ratios for young people to explore things that they're passionate about in terms of their learning. And one caveat sort of building on that a little bit as well, and one thing that I'm sort of worried about is around actually the kind of creative use of technology Um, I think we've seen a lot of creative use of technology in terms of teachers being creative with technology. But in terms of creative output, I think we need to go back and we need to revisit that in schools. I think we've lost the skills of things like digital video editing, things like animation, things like systems-based robotics, playful approaches such as games design, you know, and things like that. And of course, the reasons that all of these things are important in the context of Scottish education is that if we don't build the skill sets in terms of these creative outputs to learning, around that, then we'll never ever be able to develop these kind of creative approaches to assessment as well around that. So again, these things for me, you know, are incredibly interlinked. A quick sort of word then maybe around kind of spaces and places. took this picture in Tianjin a number of years ago. I'm a geography teacher by trade. This was by far the best geography outdoor classroom I've ever seen. I was in the school for a week. I didn't see one child or one teacher in there. And again, it's just a sort of name check to the fact that we build these quite amazing sort of learning spaces around that. But if we don't help people know how to use them if we're not designing curriculum which encourages the use of the space because the end point of that curriculum is an opportunity when young people sit in an example and they write something down for a period of time there's no incentive you know for young people to engage you know in, in wide-ranging pedagogical approaches and when I went to school and this shows my age a little bit I was excited about two things I was excited about the fact that there was a TV room and there was a colour TV in there I and mean, my grandparents had a colour TV and I was excited about the fact that once every eight weeks, I think it was, or maybe it was 12 weeks, you know, we got to use the school's BBC Micro you know, for a day or two days as part of it. And I guess the thing that I'm thinking about here is how do we make sure that schools offer different experiences that young people can get at home now, and how do we design for that in terms of architecture, in terms of space, and most importantly, in terms of opportunity? And I keep coming back to this idea about the pedagogy, the pedagogy of space, you know, how do we make sure that we do this we see a lot of again spaces in schools that aren't used well because teachers don't understand how to use the space a lot of resource that's lost in terms of technology in terms of resource that's put in because people do not how to use the space they're wonderful spaces but we haven't helped teachers be able to use that and I suppose also sort of thinking a little bit about how do we make kind of creative use of space and I think about high streets at the moment where shops have shut down And I think about how can we repurpose some of these kind of other retail areas to make them an extension of the school, these kind of safe spaces so that young people haven't got to travel in, but they become an extension, you know, of this education, ecosystem which spans early years into primary, into secondary, into college, into the parks, into employment and into all of the areas out there. And I think if we think like that, we're a lot more likely to be able to build, you know, really, really interesting spaces and more appropriate spaces as well. And my last sort of couple of points really around this is really around design. I think it's really, really interesting that quite often when we think about design, we think about subject areas, we think about multi-purpose. I'm talking more about developmental design here as well. Play parks are my bugbear around that. Most play parks are built for physical skill development, right, rather than emotional skill development or cognitive skill development, you know, or creative skill development. How do we make that work? It's interesting there's a big investment in play parks at the moment, you know, from across all of the local authorities. It's even more interesting to think that a lot of these play parks are very very close to primary schools how often are the people that are building the play parks chatting to the primary schools to think about that as a shared resource not very often we need to sort of join this up in terms of moving forward and how we go there and of course it's not just about these five skills and again a provocation to people that work in design here is that we do have an established skills framework in scotland which spans three to eighteen so if we're designing spaces how are we designing spaces for sense making How are we designing spaces for leading? How are we designing spaces for initiative around that? How are we actually building these spaces to complement the curriculum kind of going forward? And the curriculum bit is an important bit, and this is a shameless plug now for our workshop, which is at 12.30, with my friend sort of Stephen Bullock, because one of the things that we'll be talking about during that workshop will be around, if we think about the aims of the Scottish curriculum to create confident individuals, successful learners, responsible citizens, effective contributors, how are we designing for that? rather than retrofitting that in at the end how are we designing for that so that we're setting young people up to success straight away how are we thinking about the curriculum in the totality of the curriculum so that we're designing for opportunities for personal achievement opportunities for interdisciplinary learning opportunities to develop the ethos and life of the school and how are we designing for curriculum and subject areas and I'll just pause on that curriculum and subject areas bit because we're not bad at doing that but when I think about the current curriculum and subject areas in Scotland, expressive arts, health and well-being, languages, and I think about the current jobs in Scotland, I don't quite see the link. So how do we design for the employability market and how do we future-proof that, and how does that inform the subject choice at a time of education reform? And I guess sort of just to sort of summarise here, is this is for me is about pedagogy, it's about the pedagogy of space and how we pull that together. And my sort of final provocation is how do we combine or what's the combination of pedagogies that we need to support learner engagement with the curriculum? How do we do this with and without and supported by technology? And how would better spaces help? And I think, I said that I would mention it, if we are able to do some of these things, we've got a big review of the Scottish curriculum at the moment. If you're into that sort of thing, and many people in the audience won't be, but if we are able to do some of these things, I think that we would go a long way to addressing these recommendations, which I'm not going to talk about now within that review as well. So a whirlwind tour of a series of provocations about why curriculum is important, but happy now to take any questions um, or at the end.
0: OK, thank, thanks Olly. One, one of the things I think um, before we get to questions is that the challenge that we have for, uh, I don't know who our audience is here today, but we must have, um, how do we all collaborate together to create the vision of what we need for the future, because um, I'm a local authority background. We have um, funding constraints. Then we speak to our our architects who, um, they need to get together and get inside our heads as to what we need. Uh, We've also got to look from SFT, for example, and look at low carbon. So there's a lot of constraints out there. How do we we pull together to have a, a future Thinking.
1: Yeah. So, so, I th- so I think for me, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of things there. So, first of all, we can't rush this, which would seem like a silly thing to do. But quite, but, but quite often, we know when this thing is coming up. But um, because we're all very, very busy, we quite often leave that for very, very good reasons until the last minute. So, the important thing for me is to making sure that we've got a, a really, really sort of long build up to this, you know, ar- around that. And then for me, it's as simple as getting people in the same room, initially in small groups and then together, and then talking about the issues and challenges that we have. But putting, putting that framework together, you know, ar- around how do we want to work together to collaborate right at the start. And quite often I think that when I work on sort of big projects, that whether it's building projects or other other projects, is that people meet and they get into the work. They get into the details straight away. They get into what colour do we want the walls, whether there's going to be a car park or not. And actually by far the majority of it needs to be to start with, how do we want to work during this period of time? And it will come as no surprise to you, Elaine, is that uh, I'm a huge advocate for the Scottish approach to service design. I think that gives us a really, really useful, you know, set set of tools for us to be able, to be able to do that, and it just makes sure, sure that we're all working within the same parameters as we start to take these projects forward.
0: So we've got just a couple of minutes. Anybody got any burning questions just now? Um, we will have a little time at the end after you've heard the other two presentations. Anyone? Yep. 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 There.
5: Thanks for your presentation, it was really interesting. Uh, I've got an 11-year-old who just got a certificate from school for being linguistic student of the month. Uh, we were really uh, pleased with that, despite him uh, and his two older siblings complaining bitterly about the rubbish language teaching in their school and how the the, the oldest one came out with little language skills. We, we put him on Duolingo at home. There's no connection or join up between the school and him, but he's just thriving, by deep learning on this app, where do you see the role of apps for other subjects? Uh, which is happening, for instance, Kunskapskolan, the largest free school provider in Sweden, stream their students by ability in each subject and use apps, and they consistently perform, or their attainment is above the national average.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's a great question, and I think that that any app or any software you know has got a, has got an appropriate place in education as long as it's used for the right reasons you know at the, at the right time to sort of make that work and i actually think that the the that, that, that teachers and and school leaders have got a real role to make sure that that young people are are aware of the wide suite of resources that are available to them almost as as as, t- as tasters and then in the example that you gave there with you know with, with your with your son or daughter and I, and I forget which one it was is that then if they want to go away and explore that in a little bit more depth then they've got the agency you know to be able to you know to be able to do that i mean what we see you know of course fascinatingly with things like Duolingo, lingo is that young people are introduced to that in a in a primary or secondary school context normally through Um, French or Spanish or German like in in Scottish schools but then young people go away and of course they want to learn Korean because of the K-pop culture so actually they're developing their kind of of language culture through through that, that as well. I think the other sort of comment that I would sort of make around kind of apps and design is the learning analytics that we can get from them, you know, as well, and sort of making that work. Uh, I talk a lot about Duolingo, actually, in my, in my else work and how it provi- is able to provide quick feedback, you know, for, for teachers to be able to actually dictate what the next part of the lesson is. And, of course, if we're getting that instant feedback, then the teacher as a skilled pedagogue should be able to then create more engaging in lessons, which might help with your engagement problem that you, that you talked about there. But the the challenge that I think that teachers sometimes get with apps like Duolingo is that they think that quite often the feedback is there about the students whereas actually they need to recognise that the, the feedback is actually equally as there in terms of whether they are getting the key messages across the students as well. So if everybody is struggling with that, is that a problem with my delivery? You know, is that a problem with understanding or you know, the actual ability of the group? So it, work, it works both ways. So there still, I think, it needs to be a lot of work in terms of how do we help teachers cope with the feedback to create personalised learning opportunities, but also how they then improve their pedagogical approaches and where do they get the support from for that.
0: Thanks then, Oli. Any further questions we can have at the end? I'm now going to introduce Stuart Clyde. Stuart is the head teacher at Bertha Park in Perth and Kinross. And he'll tell you a little bit about the school, but essentially I think that's one of the first ones, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, is Stuart, where it was a brand-new school where this, a school hadn't been there before and he was building it up from scratch. So over to you, Stuart. Thank you very much
2: morning, everybody. It's absolutely lovely to be here. Even more exciting that I can actually go to a place of work without wearing a tie. What a thrill. I've got a question for you to begin with. What would you do if you had a completely blank canvas to work from? If you were opening up a school that had no vision, no values, no ethos, no aims, no school uniform, no curriculum, no staff. What would you do? How would you go about building this up from scratch? How would you future-proof it? How would you use the fabulous new spaces that you've been given uh, to, to build your school on? How would you make a school fit for the 21st century? In my mind, you would challenge absolutely everything. Because you're never gonna get a better opportunity to really dig down deep and find out if what we're doing is the best way of doing something. So why are we doing it? Are we doing things because this is the way we've always done it? Because in the past 15, 20 years of our career, that's what we've been used to and that's what we're comfortable with? Is there a better way of doing things? Is there a newer way of doing things? Is there a different way of doing things? So that's exactly the opportunity that we had when we were preparing to open bertha park high school just outside perth again the first non-replacement school in scotland for nearly two decades and because of that time that had gone on since the last school had opened there was nobody to pick the brains of there was nobody to say how did you open the new school that hadn't been a school before um so i was put in post 16 months prior to the school opening to do just that, to to have a really good think about how we wanted the school to be um, and to challenge absolutely everything. And a lot of what I did was I toured other schools probably in local authorities that you're representing just now and picked the best bits. I thought, right, okay, what's going on in in, in that department? What's going on in this uh, local authority here that's really, really cool that we could borrow? Had that time to do quite a lot of research into what was going on around about the world and see what was the best thing to do and hopefully bring a lot of it together to open our school. Here's just a couple of examples of the things that we challenged. Um, Mobile phones, ubiquitous in just about every area of 21st century life. We decided that we would start off by setting the bar about what was expected of mobile phones um, and how they would not feature in the classroom. Um, Also, we had a question um, when they were fitting the, the school out to say, what times do you want the bells ringing? And instead of going, all right, we better have the bell at the beginning of the period uh, one. but Actually, what other environment in 21st century living is actually dictated by bells and beeps? What kind of world are we creating the kids for? That everything is lineated in time by bells and beeps? The only one I could think of was a prison. I <laughs> don't really want to be designing a, a, a school like a prison. So uh, we decided that we weren't going to have any bells and beeps. We were going to try and prepare the young people to move around their school the same way as they would be expected to move around a contemporary place of work. We're not preparing people for the Industrial Revolution anymore, for people working in factories, you know, when the bell rings, Pavlov's dogs and all that. We're not preparing people for that. That was. 100, 200, 300 years ago we were doing that. Things have changed, so an opportunity to challenge that thinking and think, well, actually, why bells and beeps? So we don't have them. What about times? How long is your school period? Now, it's very common for school periods these days to be around about the 50 minutes-ish time. You might have a little bit more, you might have a little bit less, but what's the driver behind that? Why have schools got 50-minute periods? Well, I'll tell you, if if you're not from an education background, a lot of what drives that time of how long kids spend in front of the teacher is financial. Because if you have a period of such a length, you can squeeze more periods a week out of a teacher. And to me, that was a wee bit like the tail wagging the dog. What would actually be better is to spin that question around and say, what's best for the kids? And let's have period lengths... That are better for the kids so we've got longer period lengths than that we've got 80 minute periods not 50 minute periods and yes that causes us some challenge with cover because somebody might have run out of minutes on their working week but you know what it turns out that it's actually better for the teaching and learning of the young people and it's not an 80 minute period it's not just a 50 minute period with an extra word at the end of it we encourage our staff to think really really creatively about that extra time I we mean, there's a lot of research about why would we bother making the, the, the periods differently. Well, they can go deeper into their learning. They can get outside, they can learn more. They can do more experiments. They can do more experiential learning, collaboration, all of that stuff, which you can't really do in a really small period. So we changed it. Young people's mental health and well-being is also a real challenge today. So we started off our school by building mindfulness right into the core of what we do and we started off with having uh, mindfulness sessions at the beginning of each day for every class to try and see if we could solve some of those problems instead of trying to put a bandaid over them when they happen. So just a handful of examples about of things that we that we challenged and we tried to do it a little bit differently. But how did we change the use of the physical space, which is really the crux of what I wanted to speak with you about? in um, an education building's context, what about the actual physical area? And how has that contributed to the way that we do things differently and hopefully do things better? Well, I wonder if you'll remember going to a school that looked a little bit like this, with big, long, dark corridors and classrooms forever. I can actually almost smell the smelly gym shoes. <laughs> Look at that photograph. I don't, Maybe some people have still got schools like that and their local authorities just now. Um, I know a few people that do. That's not what Bertha Park High School looks like. Bertha Park High School looks more like this. With beautiful, open, spacious areas. Areas for people to collaborate. To work in groups. Pairs individually. Classes. Lots of light, lots of air. An inspirational place to actually be. Lots of windows everywhere, letting in lots of natural light and a really attractive place to be. And I'm going to come back to that in a wee while because you can't actually underestimate or you can't overestimate rather um, what that is, what impact that actually makes. Gone are the corridors. OK, we haven't totally banished all corridors. We do have some corridors, but at least our corridors have got windows along one side. And another feature that happens a lot in uh, in schools, computer labs. Maybe you'd be familiar if you work in a school context with this constant clamber for computer labs. You know, who's booking out the computer lab next? Oh, the English department wants to write up all the essays. Oh, but the computer department needs to get into that. We have an enormous building and we have a grand total of four computer labs. And they are the sole, for the sole use of business, computing, craft and design technology, graphcom that kind of thing. They are not universal computer labs. They are specific to those departments. And why is that? Well, it's because from the, very word, uh, from the very beginnings, from the ground up, we decided we we're going to be a one-to-one device school. So what our kids do is they carry their computer labs around with them everywhere they go. So any room and any subject at any time is a computer lab because they're constantly connected to the internet, to their work, to the presentations that their, that their, their teachers are giving, to the resources for that particular lesson. And it's working really, really well. But how does the building contribute to that? Well, I mentioned that we did a lot of research into how um, the best way of setting up a school and a big part of that was our one-to-one devices policy, which for the whole country is hopefully just around the corner. And we've all actually heard so many more horror stories about how one-to-one devices don't work. Never mind when, how they do work. So again, we challenged that and flipped that question. And we stopped asking about how one-to-one devices, policies work around the world. And we started to ask, why do they not work? And we learned really quickly why they don't work. And there was three really, really important things, which I can go into another time. But one of the most important ones is the actual physicality of the learning space around you. It's the building. If you don't have a seamless network, if you don't have constant Wi-Fi, if you don't have broadband that can hack a large number of people being online at the one time, then that is a key feature of a failing one-to-one devices. It's one of the cornerstones of doing it. But our building has a seamless network incredibly reliable Wi-Fi because it was designed for that purpose. It's open plan, so you don't have enormous great big concrete walls blocking a signal getting through. Now that's not the fault of the old buildings. They were never designed to, to carry radio waves. We've got charging points all around the school, so that when the kids need to charge their devices. You know, they're not having to get home to do that. They can plug them into the, the sockets around the school. We've got lots of daylight everywhere. Uh, The vast majority of our learning spaces are on the perimeter of our building, so there's natural light everywhere. And even in the middle, there's this enormous uh, set of skylights. It's well-ventilated, which, as we all know, contributes well to brain function. It's not dark. It's not creepy. It's beautifully aerated. So in building a school for the 21st century, what do... What does Bertha Park have and a number of other new builds have that actually contribute to a 21st century way of working, which surely is what we're preparing the young people for? There's multiple areas to work. So it's not just classroom learning. You don't just have classrooms. Yes, we do have classrooms, but that's not the only place that learning takes place in. Learning takes place everywhere around about our school, in the corridors, in those multi-use booths the flexible open areas. Um, We've got an enormous space in in the middle of the school, which I'll tell you about in a second. Outside, everywhere that you can be is a place that you can learn. Ollie mentioned earlier on about how important collaboration is, enormously important. And that is a huge driver in what we do. We want to make sure that our young people have got the opportunity to collaborate, not just in real time with the people sitting across the booth from them, but in another part of the school, in another part of the local authority, in another part of the country, in another part of the world. Because we have that connectivity facilitated by this fabulous building, we're able to reach out and collaborate with people anywhere at any time. We don't have any silos. There's not a department that operates in that corner of the the building and that's all. Ollie also mentioned disciplinary learning. Our departments, because they have this unique flow of work physically in the building, are able to work together and promote interdisciplinary learning. You know, so if somebody comes up with an idea, oh, we're going to be working on such and such, the English teacher, the history teacher, the art teacher all get to hear about it very, very quickly and go, oh, I could tie anything in with that. Well, we could do a little bit of themed learning on that. And it's very, very easy to do because you've got this physical communications of a lovely open building that makes it easy to do that. I mentioned already that we have no bells or beeps. Um, again, not a part of 21st century working, I don't think. Um, so we don't have them in school. Why would we? And we've got this thing called an amphitheatre. Um, so just, I'll just show you. So that's at the heart of our school. We have this enormous facility right in the middle of our school which is actually an amphitheatre so the stage area is where you can see on the left and then the seats rise up it also acts as a stairway for uh, people to access the other floors and you can see the natural light coming in from the top it's a beautiful area to be but it's a multi-purpose area it acts yes as an assembly hall so quite often or well, before COVID anyway, you'd find me on the left-hand side waxing lyrical to a whole bunch of people up on the uh, on the, the, the steps there. So it acts as, an, a, as, a, as a, an assembly hall. What you can't see is just off the left-hand side is the stage area with sliding doors, and that also acts as a performance area, so we can use this as a theatre. And what we're thinking of in the years to come is when our school grows to the size um, where we might have, say, two or three or maybe even four, I don't know, physics classes running simultaneously, why would you necessarily have them running in four different labs on the top floor? Why would you not bring three or four classes down into the amphitheatre and have it like a lecture? And with these 80-minute periods, you could do 30, 40 minutes of lecture, and then everybody goes back into their uh, labs for the, the practical stuff. So that's part of our journey. I should have mentioned that our school opened with just S1 and S2 and we've been growing it ever since. And we had our doors open for all of six months before we had to shut them again for COVID. Uh, We're now up to S1 to 4 and we're looking forward to a point where we can start to use some of these really cool areas uh, as we expand our curriculum and and, and what our kids are doing. So what This is the question we ask ourselves in education all the time. Big deal, so what? You've got a lovely building, whoo, an amphitheatre way. You've got comfy seats for the kids to sit in and they've all got an iPad, big deal. So what, what's the impact of that? I've never been in a place that the staff and the kids come out with more innovative ideas because they have the flexibility to be able to think differently because we've set the bar amongst the staff of doing things differently, of just challenging the way that they might do it in another school. The kids are coming out with really, really creative ideas. The staff are coming out with creative ideas on how to deliver their curriculum content all the time. With the devices as part of that. And again, they can make use of these devices because we've got this fabulous facility that supports that. The invisible stuff in the background. The seamless Wi-Fi connectivity, this great broadband service that we have, nobody thinks about it, it just works, and because it works, people use it, because people use it, they're inspired to use more of it. More creativity, we've got kids presenting and demonstrating their work in incredibly creative ways, animations, in fact one of them was a Lego animation, Um, and green screen technology to prove the work, they do little documentaries, so it doesn't always have to be the written word on a bit of paper and say, there's my essay, I've learned this thing. You know, they can choose to express how they demonstrate their learning in so many different ways. It's proving good for engaging people that might traditionally have been difficult to engage Because we don't have a one-size-fits-all system that everybody has to write an essay on that bit of paper, that doesn't work for a lot of people. A lot of people need the flexibility of being able to dictate an essay, which we do, to create a different way of demonstrating the learning, which we do. The feedback that they receive from uh, their staff, some people like to have it written alongside their submission, whether that's digital or whether it's handwritten. But other people respond much better to an audio message from the, from the, the staff saying, I really like what you did there, but watch your characterisation? You've got a couple of grammar mistakes in, in, in uh, paragraph four. A much more personal approach and it appeals to so many more people than just a couple of lines scribbled on the side of an essay. And again, collaboration between pupils, doesn't have to be in the same classroom, it can be anywhere, but between schools as well. There was an example um, during, when was it? It must have been about February of this year, when everybody was under the cosh to get all the assessments for the senior phase, for S456, for the SQA exams. Because there was no exams, everybody had to grab all the evidence that they could round about February, March time. And people were going bonkers on that. Um, gathering all the evidence for S4, 5, 6. But what about S1, 2, and 3? They had no time to concentrate and develop resources and plan lessons for S1, 2, and 3 because they were so busy squeezing assessments out of the S4, and 5, and 6. Well, that's when collaboration from our school actually kicked into touch because we, because we didn't have an S4 or 5 or 6 because we were only an S1 to 3 school back in February... We were able to say to the rest of the local authority, don't worry about your S1, 2, and 3. We'll do that. We'll do S1, 2, and 3 curriculum for the entire authority. You guys concentrate on your S4, 5, 6. So we were able to share through Microsoft Office Suite, particularly Teams and OneNote, all of our resources that we were We were were developing these anyway for our S1 and 2 and 3. Why would we bother reinventing the wheel and having everybody else do the same thing as we were doing? So we said to all our colleagues and the rest of Perth and Ross Council, crack on with S4, 5 and 6, we'll take care of your S1, 2 and 3. We weren't able to physically be in the classroom with them because they were back in class, I think, after Easter at that time. But when they were collecting all their evidence, maybe in February, March, we were able to provide all that remote learning. So that the staff were able to say, just grab all Bertha Park stuff and push it out to the rest of the authority. And that worked really, really well. And it freed up our colleagues to be able to concentrate on the sharp end, on the four, five, six for SQA exams. So there's a real live example of how collaboration was made easy by the use of technology, but not technology for technology's sake, We were able to facilitate that because that's the way we planned to operate the school anyway, facilitated by this phenomenal building and what it enabled us to achieve. We've got happy staff down there. I don't think anybody can claim to have an entirely happy staff at all times. Uh, But what we do have is a staff that feel valued and appreciated. It's a tough gig working in a school these days, no matter what building you work in but they feel supported because of the facilities that they have and the resources that we invest in them and because they're happy and they feel valued and appreciated they go that extra mile and they do things like we'll we'll share our S123 material with the rest of the local authority no problem it's not everybody that would do that and I think because we've built that ethos in our school they're happy to do that I've got the word down there, aim. We set aside a really simple aim for opening our school a couple of years back. And our aim was to make it a place where people want to be. So if you're a kid and you don't go to Bertha Park, you wish you did. If you're a parent and your son or daughter goes to another school, you thought, I wish they went to Bertha Park. And if you remember a staff looking for a job, you think, ah, if only I could work in Bertha Park. That was our aim. Because everything we thought after that comes from these things. You can have pages of aims, but you know, if you want to be there, if the kids want to be there, if the parents want to send their kids there, if the staff want to work there, you're well on the way. But enough from me, I asked the kids if they would uh, put together a bit of a Vox Pops documentary about what their thoughts were, so they grabbed a handful of them and they put this together. I like the design of the school because it's nice and happy and like it's light and there's loads of rooms, so it's great. I just love it because it's got all the designs and it kind of looks like a cheese block from the outside <laughs> and on the inside it's just like huge and awesome.
4: I really like it because it's very open and like bright and um, it's also very accessible for people that are in wheelchairs and everything. I like how open the corridors are because I've been in other schools and the corridors are quite small um, so it's harder to move around and also it's quite easy to remember where all the stuff
1: is um, because of like all the designs on the wall.
3: Uh, on the English wall it's got like pow and wow and all that, it gives you a bit of enthusiastic to like, yes you can
2: do this, like come on you can keep working, you got this. When I was in my school, um,
3: it was like not as spacious, it was like a little cramp but here in the corridors it's just nice and it's not too like, close in that it's like nice and spacious and like everywhere is nice like the classrooms and the corridors
2: my primary school it was definitely loads smaller and it had like sometimes it wasn't like bright enough and there was no like fun features but on here they have like really cool features on the walls and like fun art designs and i think it's, it's just so happy here
4: i think it is very different um, because other schools that i have been to or been in is they're very dark Um, and they're very, in a way, claustrophobic. Um, And this one's very, like, there's breathing space in it. I like
1: the breakout spaces because sometimes classrooms can be a bit loud. um, So you can always uh, go out there and just take a few minutes to yourself and you can always go back in when you're ready. We've got a lot of cool things here at Bertha Park High.
2: Like green screens on our walls. Where you can do awesome stuff. Like this. Whoa. Whoa! Or we could be here. Cheese. Or here. Oh my God! Wow. Or here. No. Or here. I think it's just like it's so like unique to other schools how like they really thought through what things they want to help people learn, and I think it's great school to come to. Them too. Yeah. <laughs> so, to summarise our journey, and if I was giving any advice to people perhaps here just now who are somewhere along that journey of preparing for new schools. Consider it as a new way of thinking. It's working differently. I spent about um, a year out of a school when I was uh, when I got the job for Bertha Park High, the building was still in construction. And as a result, I worked in the centre, I worked in Perth and Ross uh, Council Centre for about a year. And it was a very, very different way of working. They had moved on also from everybody in little booths and and offices to a much more open plan area. And I noticed a big difference, just working in that area as a member of staff. Um, And the whole ethos has changed. I've got just a a very quick story to tell you about that.
0: Has to be very quick Lloyd Stuart. (laughs)
2: All right, I'll leave the story for another time. Um, So if I had any advice to give people about designing and building a new school, I would say be brave, challenge everything, seek forgiveness, not permission. A bit of a controversial one, that one, but if you keep asking for permission to do things, people will always find an excuse to tell you no, they're much more forgiving than permission giving. Proceed until apprehended, crack on with what you think is right. And if you get it out, you get it out, but at least you've got the job done. And if anybody ever asks you about any of these things, I will deny all knowledge. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Hope it's been helpful.
0: Thanks, Stuart. Well, if I've got any time at the end, we'll, um, we'll have some questions because we need to go on to the next one. But one thing I, I do have to say, at quarter past 11, at this stage, we've got um, Chris Rothwell, and he's going to be accompanied by the West Calder High School students here, and their school looks virtually exactly like that one. So you'll be able to get some ideas from them and see what they think. But thanks very much, to you; That was really good. Right, finally, um, we've got Neil and Kevin... And Peter's going to be joining us online, isn't he? Peter from Atelier 10. And that's about... Um, we were very lucky in West Lothian to get the funding from Scottish Futures Trust and Government um, for Beatley School, which is a severe and complex, but the, at the most severe end. And what we were trying to achieve here was a, a place where it's actually pleasant for these kids to be because the existing school was pretty, pretty poor. But also looking at all the smart technology that we could put in place that could make it much better for our pupils. So over to Neil and Kevin and Peter.
4: Thanks very much, Elaine. Uh, Elaine and I, two years ago, we, we stood up on the stage... At the uh, in Edinburgh, the, this, this event in Edinburgh, uh, we were asked to showcase uh, uh Beatley School uh, as one of the pilot schemes for for, for LEAP. Uh, at the end of that session, uh, Dermot Lawler, who's about somewhere, uh, he summed it up, uh, we've got this anytime, anywhere learning policy in West Lothian Council, uh, but we tried to 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 get this inclusive for the kids at beatley and, the, and this this tagline anytime anywhere anyone learning was how Dermot summed up uh, our session uh, two years ago so this this is stuck and this is what we are trying to do with with the new school at, at, at beatley it, it's inclusive for everybody so everybody can do, use the digital technology I think yeah. I, I'm just here doing a quick introduction. I'm the eye candy. Kevin's gonna Kevin's gonna follow, and <laughs> uh, and Peter is joining us online. So I'm gonna be really quick because it's these guys that we want want to to hear from. To be honest, um, Beatley School. Bit bit of a summary of the school. The kids are are, are kids that 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 you know have the most day-to-day challenges than anybody else in the school estate so the severe and complex and profound medical needs uh, the the kind of the goals or, or the they the objectives of the school was we want to give these kids the best possible school that we can because through through all the pupils and it's not just west Lothian. these are the kids that need or or deserve the best facilities we can give them uh, so so so, part of that was there's a big identity of be- Beatley School in the Craigs Hill area of, of Livingston. We wanted it to remain there. Uh, it 's a very small. you can see up here the capacity is like forty eight kids, so comparing to you know Bertha Park we 're talking about you know eleven hundred or whatever might be there, Stuart, but this is you know a big building for a, a, a few few kids. We also have uh, the NHS Lothian Child Development Centre uh, working out of the school, which is uh, shown as a, a, an exemplar, to be honest, of, of uh, collaborative working between NHS and, and the type of school that we have. I think the, uh, the aim for us was, as, as we say, in every new school is we want it to be the best that we can possibly make it. Uh, and you know Beatley, Beatley kids they're absolutely up there they, they deserve what they need uh, yesterday I, I saw Sharon Sharon Wright somewhere she was here yesterday Sharon Sharon uh, had, had done a presentation about well-being in, in, in the schools and I think uh, for us uh this is highlighting, uh, and, and Sharon talked about going transition from, from school to to home life. And this is probably the, 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 the biggest transition you would get because of the, the specific needs of the kids at Beatley. So th- these are a few bits and pieces that we're showing of the, 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 the kids at Beatley. Uh, the facilities they've got It's an old 1960s building that has been uh, kind of... Modified beyond modification, to be honest. Uh, but we started, we showcased, showcased this two years ago. We were talking about you know virtual reality headsets uh, and various things that have gone. Two years, technology has changed and we're progressing. Uh, but I think what, what we, we're now doing is we're looking about trying to get the kids at Beatley to to be involved with the technology that they got at school, but can actually translate into into the the home environment. So so these are just the type of challenges these kids have. Uh, you know, it it is it, quite it's quite sad to see the challenges these kids face. But the reality is, you go into the school, and it's one of the happiest places you would ever be. You know. You know, Beatley is just, you know, a phenomenal place. And, and the kids, the staff, and the parents uh, deserve this wee bit of, of, of joy and happiness that we can provide for them. So what we looked at from day one is we wanted to be sector leading. We need to, to have a forward thinking design and how... We, we shouldn't be designing for today, tomorrow, we should be designing for 5, 10, 20 years' time, and that includes the technology. We want to bring the community on board, there was a real strong link between the community, uh, and it was important that that, that remained. Uh, and, and Kevin will touch on on uh, the, the location and the building and the school, and we wanted to bring the partners along on that journey with us as well, which... NHS, Lothian, and various other third sectors as well. So that's maybe a wee bit slower intro than I had intended, but I'm going to pass over to Kevin to 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 actually give us a wee bit about the building, and then Peter hopefully will join us online to uh, to show us how we're doing the technology. Kevin.
3: Morning, everybody. I'm conscious of time, so I'll. Uh Peter Kerr of Atelier 10, as, as Neil said, is going to join us and he's going to concentrate on the, on the technology side of things. So I'll just very quickly go through the building just to give you some context. Um, as Neil said, there really is a, an awful lot of joy in the existing building, you know, des- despite uh, the, you know, the sort of adverse conditions that a lot of them work within, a lot of clutter and stuff everywhere. We were very keen to create a physical environment that really, you know, tidied a lot of that stuff away. Um, Context was mentioned, we looked at two sites. We eventually uh, ended up in the one to the the northeast there. Uh, It's it's kind of in the heart of the community. It's got lots of uh, physical, pedestrian, vehicular connections into the wider community. Uh, In plan terms, it's a very simple compact building. It's got to have a very good low energy performance. So uh, we've got class spaces around the perimeter and then a central taller volume in the middle of the plan. And the NH- NHS facility that Neil mentioned is, is on the bottom right-hand corner uh, with a sort of colonnade that brings you into the front door of the building. So a very, very simple uh, plan. These are some of the, the early sketches to, to just you know get a flavour of what the building could be like. Um, now that it's been developed further, uh, it's just a you know, very simple, single-storey building. Lots of connections between inside and outside. Central volume come into this. This space, this sort of welcoming space, you can go left into the NHS facilities or straight ahead into the building uh, central space that we're calling the hive. Lots of clear story glazing, very bright, airy, focus to uh, the building, just like we did at Bertha Park. You know, it's very important to have lots of you know light inside. Uh, quite keen to get some biophilic features into the building as well. That kind of warmth and that sort of tactile feel, um, you know. Uh, all children but especially SN children, you know, you know, they need really good experiences. So the building's certainly trying to trying to do that. To create a real sort of rich variety of spaces that are also pretty flexible that will be joyful to be in because at the end of the day I think we want to you know you can have a great school you know, a great school in a poor building, but if you can give a, a great school much better quality uh, physical environment then you know you hopefully that's really going to help that facility to thrive, as, it, as I think it did at Bertha Park. So um, you can see we've imbued every single space, whether it's a collaborative space or a classroom space, with natural light. Uh, light from two sides always works works really well. Engineers will tell you you don't really need to do it, but it definitely works well. Peter Peter likes it really. Uh, lots of glimpses through, across, and between spaces to give that really rich learning environment, so that people feel good and they're inside the building. If you can do that, then I think we've done our job. So that was a very quick romp through it. So I'll now, now hand over to the start of the show, who's going to be joining us remotely, Mr Kerr.
5: Hey, thanks, Kevin. Um, so hopefully everyone can see the presentation. Um, so I'll just get cracking. So as, as Kevin mentioned and Neil mentioned, obviously there's some challenges that the children face, I feel like, within this, this school. Um, And as an engineer, um, I like to solve problems and I like to give, if you like, opportunities for some joy, if you like, as well, um, using our knowledge of um, assistive technologies and smart technologies. We also had the challenge of how are we going to maintain the LEAP funding? Because again, that's an integral part of what we had to do in terms of the challenge that we faced here, was to make sure that this school actually could get its funding every year and 100% every year. So that meant that we had to come up with solutions that enabled us to do that. So um, picking up first of all, on the smart technology piece. Now, smart technology, right, is, is a mainly about joining all of those elements that we already have in our schools together, right? And actually get, given this form of interpretation, if you like, um, using systems. So we also, we have loads and loads of what we call digital touch points in schools. We have, you know, things like lifts, we have access control points, we have CCTV, we have all of these elements. But they don't tend to talk to each other they tend to just do their own thing and that's the end of it however one of our if you like approaches is see if we can actually take some of that information and use it but one of the challenges that you do face is actually the lack of if you like sensors if you like throughout the building you know i like to call this like like casting a net of sensors across the building and we call it an observer grid so as, as part of this project We've integrated um, multi-sensor devices and the light fittings, which are throughout the building. Now, that enables us then to understand what is going on within the building, you know, which spaces are occupied, how often they're occupied, and also to identify spaces that shouldn't be occupied. You know, for example, if we have, if you like, seven o'clock at night and we find that there's, there's vast areas of the building. And, you know actually open and being used you know we we want to understand that what it's what it's need for what it, what it's what its purpose is because again we're trying to save energy and carbon as part of this um, side of things the other thing is is it enables us to take some of the what i call the intelligence of the building and gives us a bit more transparency and a bit more data uh, to allow us to analyze things because again one of the big moves in terms of energy going forward is not just about hyper insulating our buildings and Reducing the air tightness and everything else, and closing them in, it's it's actually about understanding or, or get, making people, the teachers, you know, the, the the actual staff of the buildings, um, to understand what decisions they're making and how they can change. If you like those decisions, to make a better decision to save energy and carbon. Now, one of the things that, as I say, we mentioned, we've got the sensor net across the building, which we are integrating into the light the light fittings, and it gives us heat mapping technology, so we can actually understand exactly as I say, what spaces are used and when. Um, and as part of that, we call this thing the IBMS because we like to separate it out from what I call the old BMS, which in essence is just a dumb control device. It takes temperatures and moves some things about. What this is in a more intelligent system allows us to integrate all those digital touch points on a single platform. And then what we can do is we can program that platform to actually tell us you know, things that we want to know, not things that we don't want to know. And as part of that, different people want to know different things. Okay, so what we have done in this project is actually create a series of dashboards. So as part of this, we're still working through the detail of it, but we've identified three dashboards. So one is a teacher dashboard, Um, and again, that could be on the computer, it it could be on a panel on the wall. But what it does is it it makes recommendations. It doesn't sort of say you shall to do this, right? But what it's doing is it's giving the teacher some information about what's happening outside. So for example, if it's going to be hot outside during the day, it'll say could be hot later on, you know, why don't you open your windows, you know, and that will allow you to do that. It's more about actually providing, you know, if you like those tools to actually use the building a bit better. And what we're going to be trying to do during this period, you know, of occupation of the existing school um, and getting getting the teachers ready for that, you know, so what we're going to do is a whole kind of behavioral piece um, with the teachers and with the school to actually show them how the, the new school could work. Um, So we'll be engaging that quite, quite soon. We're just getting together all the detail for that. And the other thing is a public dashboard. So, again, a little bit of fun graphics and things, you know, telling them a little bit about carbon, about climate change, you know, perhaps about the weather. Um, So, again, creating some fun things just to allow people to sort of interact with what's happening in the world Um, and also to understand that this building is actually a high-performance building, but it's actually got a tangible if you like, benefit as well as as retaining that funding going forward. Um, And again, the the DFM dashboard, which nobody really else cares about apart from the FM team. But what we're doing is actually creating a series of recommendations, right? So actually, and this rather than saying there's a fault comes up and then it's like, go and fix it. What we're writing is a series of recommendations about things to change. So for example, we're going to be getting a pre-programmed algorithm. Sounds very, very complicated, which will actually be the low profile for the school throughout the year. And then what we're going to be able to do in the FM dashboard is actually identify if we're out with the target value for leap, you know, on a monthly basis. And that way we're not waiting to the end to know we're failed. We're actually can take steps to reduce that energy consumption. But if you don't put in the technology to enable you to understand what's happening in the building, you can't actually provide recommendations about how to do that. Taking a, a kind a simple example, if the small power, if you like, either plug loads are going out of kilter. It might be things like go and check that the teachers haven't been plugging in, you know, panel heaters in the walls and stuff like that. Um, And then what would happen is on the teacher's dashboard, a little recommendation would come out and say, look, can you just check that you're not leaving things on all day? And can you just check that you're not leaving things on all night? You know, um, because that will help the school get, if you like, that funding every year. And that's important for the teachers as well. So now for the more interesting stuff is actually the assistive technology. And again, we broke this down into different elements. So, And we like to think about assistive technology is as a bit experiential. You know, it's an experience. It's something that the children, you know, are going to be actually kind of hands-on with in terms of the technology. So again, we were looking at the kind of traditional multi-sensory room. And, and to be perfectly honest, the, the traditional multi-sensory room is pretty good. You know, it's pretty good. Um, and again, and the children love it. Um, so what we were doing is just adding some more elements on as part of this um, aspect and again we're putting in things like linking things together so the audio visual control for sound projection and light control so we've got sounds coming from the speakers we've got uh, we're going to be stimulating olfactory senses providing smells into the spaces um, and we're also got interactive projections so the kids can actually play with if you like some of those elements we can project things on at the floor if it's like fishes on the floor the kids can stand on them and and things like that so it's about creating an interaction it create a bit of fun um and it create a bit of stimulus uh for the kids and and improving their life if you like as well you know just that just that just those little things like getting away from things not it's not just about the, the teaching side um it's about actually having these kids improving their lives. Um, the other thing that, that we were also one of the things we were looking at through the, the day in the life, and I, I went out and did the day in the life at the school, and is the kids spend a lot of time on their backs and things like that, you know, in hygiene rooms and things. And again, we wanted them to say, right, rather than looking at this boring ceiling, you know, that with the light fittings on it, and the grills, you know, things that we like to look at, but no, no one else does. And so how can we make that ceiling a bit more interesting? You know and looking at simple things like you know um creating LED skylights and things if we can't actually get the natural light into the space, um, you know, but creating our artificial means if we if we if we have to. Um, and again, and that helps again create some stimulus, creating a bit of if you like, diversion, if you like, for the children. Um, and again, you know, looking at things like playing some calming music through the system, um, you know, connecting up things like Alexa, and one of the things that we were trying to do was not use. A lot of hugely complex commercial technology uh, in relation to this, because we wanted to be able to show parents that these are some small things you could do in the house. You know, using just taking a little bit of that, I feel like assistive technology that they've got in the school that you could put in the house as well. And and we thought that was quite important. And again, you know, using the the you know stimulating some of the olfactory senses potentially, obviously in hygiene rooms, that's that's quite important. Um, and again, even looking at things like smart plugs for the basins, because again. You know when when you're dealing with the kids in these spaces you know your attention could get drawn away and we want to make sure that we don't actually have overfilling the basins and things like that. So, using a little bit of technology to prevent that occurring the other thing that we were looking at was just the kind of practical teaching spaces and what we're looking at is, is how can we create something within the school that can actually potentially be replicated at home right so so this is what we call the home automation station right So again, as part of this, the station is to inform pupils and staff of the benefits that can assist children in in looking at independent living, because at Beatley, you know, there's a wide range of ages of the kids and through to young adult, Uh, and if there's things that that we can do to actually, you know, if a kid has got some real severe physical disabilities, we can start to practice these elements, you know. um, You know, it could be speaking into something. It could be using, you know, a sip and puff, uh, if you like, control system or a joystick, um, and actually to control things within the house. You know, be it the lighting, you know, be it things like turning cookers on and off and, and things like that. So this technology could be used if you like back at, at home. Um and again, we can also do things like um using some light fit. There's this one here called the Amazon Nanoleaf, Leaf, which again you can just buy online. Um and it can you can actually mimic what's happening with the weather outside. And um, you can actually have things like, you know, it can change the color temperature um, through the day. And again, it's this kind of uh, you know, if you like stimulation. Um, of of the mind in uh, relation to some of the things that we're doing. And even looking at things like, you know, why shouldn't kids with severe diff- diff- uh, child physical disabilities not be able to play Xboxes and Playstations and things like that? So we even had uh, this aspect of looking at a gaming platform with the adaptive controllers. Again, so that's something that, you know, the parents can say, oh, I, c- I can do that. I, c- I could get that for my kid. So these kind of things and these kind of ideas, we were looking at more than just an education PCR. here where we're looking at a real if you like community engagement process with with if you like the the staff the pupils and the parents and again that's just a diagram of what you can do you know we can use smart plugs that you can turn things on and off by just speech Um, you know for kettles, dishwashers, microwaves you can control the blinds you say it blinds up blinds down dead easy and then they go up and down it seems quite simple but it can be quite important for for people with physical disabilities to have ease if you like in relation to interacting with their environment um and again we thought these were quite important elements now are moving on to the next piece which is the outdoor experience and as i think we've mentioned a couple of times in a couple of the other presentations is the outdoor experience is extremely important getting the kids uh, outside and again and creating another level of stimulus and again you know, looking at things like kind of domestic type technology, the Alexa mobile application to control color changing lights. So say blue lights, purple lights, you know, things like that, simple interaction, um, and it allows you to do that. Um, and again, we can use things like touch pads and things like that. And we've got these kinds of things here with, you know, little kind of water features, which we can control, if you like, the height of the water and things like that. You can just say, you know, water higher, you know, and that could be the Alexa application. We can do it through, you know, blowing onto something and it, or we can have it linked to the wind with a, an anemometer and we can actually control these things and actually have it as an interactive experience rather than just something that sits static within the environment. Uh, and again, the interactive place, So we don't need things... That are wired up you know i feel like there are interactive elements and physical elements that can be used as part of that play and this is just an example of that the, the poppy petal drum and the, the harmony flowers which create you know noise and sound and great, creating that stimulus within that external environment and again it was about creating this external sensory experience as well which is really important and now on to the final one which is actually looking at technology for what we call freedom of movement So again, this was quite interesting because initially we tried to come up with a solution which was actually um, something that we didn't know at the time but didn't exist in the world. So we were inventing something and it's quite funny because we went to this company in the US to try and develop this automated wheelchair which is actually something that doesn't rely if you like, on tracks or anything like that. But what it would do is it would use technology and sensors and we call Bluetooth beacons to actually allow you to move through the space. So it was quite funny because we said, right, so the proof of concept was £10,000 and to create the prototype was £100,000. So we thought, and we said, well, are you going to give us the patent? Because we've come up with the idea as part of the the project. And they went, no. And we were like, well, why would you do this? (laughs) You know, we're not doing that then. But you can see that, you know, by challenging yourself and by challenging others, uh, coming up with solutions for complex challenges that you can actually come up with something that could be quite innovative but what we did find was obviously a technology that can if you like provide an element of that which is the drive deck system and again this allows you you can move from external internal and internal external and again it's a semi-autonomous solution and it gives you some if you like an element of control the other big thing in terms of the movement concept was this gilman dynamic hoist and again this is another fantastic element uh, that you can do obviously the hoists have a purpose and feel like and a practical purpose however they can also have another purpose which is actually to provide a a little bit of freedom for these children with these real physical demands you know and in this this kind of solution here we can actually have you know the the children can actually be up and moving around in the space using the hoist uh, and it gives them that little bit of if you like rather than being lying down on a on the floor or if you like on a bed, actually they're in an environment which is a little bit different and hopefully provides them some fun. So again, this has been integrated into the project. And then in the future, in fact, again, we were looking at this as part of the if you like the piece that we're looking at, the autonomous wheelchairs and stuff like that. This was something as part of the technology we're looking at. But this technology exists now. And again, this is quite good. If you're if you're taking the kids outside, you know, and you're, you're maybe going to walk with the kids because sometimes that's what happens at the, the current school. This can make life easier, if you like, for, for the teachers. You know, they can take the, the kids out. This is a motorised um, bit of equipment that actually just provides a little bit of assistance in terms of moving things around. The kids can also have the capability of, of actually activating it as well. But again, the big thing here is, is that, again, this is about making people's lives easier, right, to actually encourage greater movement. If you like, and taking those kids to different places. Um, and this just makes it a little bit easier for people to do that. So I've tried to fly through this as much as possible. And again, this is the last piece of technology, which was our kind of initial kind of work through, if you like, of the autonomous wheelchair um, and looking at the, this kind of aspect. And again, it's not available in the UK at the moment, but this is a hybrid between what we wanted to do and the, dry, the, the actual kind of um, smart drive system. Uh, but it's all about mobility and, again, it's all about fun and it's all about making sure that we retain, if you like, those funds going forward. So those were the main elements that um, I just wanted to cover. And I've tried to do that as quickly as possible because um, I know there's another another presentation on at quarter past 11. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. Um, I have to admit, from West Lothian's point of view... <laughs> taking Peter on board into this project has been one of the best decisions we've made and he has not disappointed him and his team and that has meant that we've been able to think about um, all the innovations that we've thought but actually they've gone away and thought about many also and and brought it to bear and all we have to do is make sure that we've got all the money in place although the 100 grand for the, <laughs> the chairs was just a bit OTT <laughs> but anyway um, you know these were the most important um, children that we've got in West Lothian, and we wanted to make a, 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 a good job for the, the school for them. So, I don't know, uh, to be fair, we've, you've only got a couple of minutes, and I'm sorry that we didn't have as many questions as you'd maybe like, um, but you could certainly email them on to Kathleen. Um, at the the Learning Places and we'd be happy to get back to you if anybody's interested in any of the things that you've heard today. So I'd like to thank Peter, Neil and uh, Kevin still there and Stuart and Ollie um, for a very interesting digital um, session and I hope you all enjoyed it and come away with some thoughts and ideas about what you can take back to whatever line of work you're in. So thanks very much everyone.